Welcome in everybody to another edition of the Digital Dispatch Podcast presented by Freight School Playbook. I am your host, Blythe Brimley, and in today's show, we're going to be breaking down a couple different things. First, Freightwave Sales and Marketing Summit that happened just this previous week. I watched the full day of all the speakers, all of the fireside chats. I was even lucky enough to be a part of one of the fireside chats talking about content marketing fears and how to overcome them. So I will be breaking just some of my key takeaways that I found from watching the full day's worth of content. And then later on in the show, we're going to be talking with Eric Rodriguez. He is the CEO and founder of a company called Venn flow. They've just entered into the trucking space and they build technology solutions to structure and simplify communications with trucking carrier partners. Now, basically how that breaks down is that they have a software component that plugs into the current TMS provider and other different software applications. And it's also a standalone application that they built around the biggest issue of brokers booking loads, and that's the communication aspects. So a couple couple of their different testimonials that sort of caught my eye, which which is the reason why I wanted to do this interview, is because they've done a really good job with some of their content marketing on their LinkedIn page. Go follow Vendor Flow if you haven't heard of them yet. But they published these testimonials. And one of the testimonials that stood out to me that says, I spend six hours a day calling, emailing, and texting trucking carriers to cover eight truckloads. It's exhausting. Another one of the testimonials that stood out to me and this one goes, when a customer tenders a load, my team has 15 minutes to find a trucker. We blast email hundreds of carriers and just hope for the best. So the spray and pray method. So VendorFlow was hoping to solve those communication issues when it comes to uh, brokers and carriers and that ever evolving relationship. So that's later on in the show. But first up, let's go ahead and break down some of the key takeaways from the FreightWave Sales and Marketing Summit that happened just last week. And the first thing that sort of caught my eye was, and it usually is, is the keynote from the presentation. And the keynote was with a gentleman by the name of Joe Polizzi. I believe I'm pronouncing that name correctly, but he is the CEO and founder of Content Marketing Institute. So if you've been working in any kind of marketing capacity, especially in content marketing over the last probably decade, I think they've been around, then you've probably heard of Content Marketing Institute. So he had a uh, keynote with Craig Fuller, who is the CEO of Freight Waves. And a couple different points that really stood out to me was advice for the death of the third party cookie. So if you don't know what a third-party cookie is, it's basically the little tracking pixel uh, that Google Analytics, Facebook, um, LinkedIn even all has these different tracking pixels that you place on your website in order to sort of really nail down who's interacting with your site, how they're interacting with it. And this third-party cookie and the evolution of how it's evolved is basically ever since the invention of the internet, we've, as marketers, have been able to glorify the use of the third-party cookie in order to help better attribute and create our marketing campaigns. That cookie is going away. Privacy laws, concerns are ever increasing. And the EU just passed this, I think it was just last year, GDPR, uh, which is a major privacy overhaul. And then California Privacy Act, which was passed last year, I believe, too. And so these two systems are really designed to help users that don't know that they're selling all of their information to Facebook and to all these social media networks and Google and the likes. So you're selling your information without really knowing that you're selling your information. So GDPR, the California Privacy Act, and now the eventual death of the third party cookie is one of those things that we need to take a hold of. We should have already, if you haven't set up your website in order to specifically ask for for permission, which is also a little annoying, all those pop-ups that show up that say, hey, we collect you know cookie information in order to better the browsing experience for your users, um, which is just kind of like marketing speak for, um, we still want to take your data, please share it with us uh, in the most polite way possible. But that third-party cookie is going away. And so his advice, Joe's advice from the Content Marketing Institute is he says that you have to have a greater, uh, you have to rely greater on your first party data. So people who are coming to your site who are directly interacting with your brand, meaning filling out a contact form, um, subscribing to a podcast, uh, signing up for your email list, these are all direct 
first party interactions with your brand, with your site. And so you really have to start prioritizing that where Facebook isn't necessarily going to come in and save the day for you anymore as far as audience insights are concerned. So marketing is technically going to get a lot harder because we don't have uh, the access to information. But if you're doing a lot of the things right, meaning you're creating valuable content for your target audience, and you're hoping to slowly build up your brand awareness and, you know, things like that, then you're, you're, probably safe. You're, you're, you're doing things correctly already. This is really designed for the people who are not doing the things correctly, who are taking your information and selling it out to all these different data farms. Um, these, these different, you know, like the Cambridge Analytica's of the world, which if you've watched the social network, you know exactly who I'm talking about. The people who take your data and use it maliciously or use it in a way that you haven't explicitly given them permission to use. So if you're doing things the right way already, you don't necessarily have to worry about the death of the third party cookie. But if you haven't started collecting email addresses on your site, if you haven't started opening up those direct communication channels, if you don't have a website yet, and if you don't have an email list, then those are two priorities that you really need to focus on. Um, there's plenty of tools out there and and companies, hello, Digital Dispatch, uh, will help you with these goals that you have in mind. But if you haven't started collecting emails already on your site, then that's something you should prioritize. Even if you have no plans to send out a campaign, just start collecting emails so that you can send those updates to your audience in the future. Just start doing it today and you will be extremely thankful for it so that in the future when you do want to, maybe you never want to, but if you do want to, you've built up that uh, digital real estate that you actually own. So that was one of the key takeaways that I got. Um, another thing that really sort of rings home true for me, and I'm sure it does for a lot of people out there, but to do one thing to one audience, don't try to boil the ocean, meaning don't spread yourself too thin. Just because, you you know, we have all of these different social media platforms and communication tools. It doesn't mean that you have to be everywhere at once. Do one thing really good first and be really committed to it. But it, it, you have to really be committed to it. And when he breaks it down, he breaks it down in the podcast example. Everybody wants to start a podcast right now, but few people actually have the dedication in order to do it well and do it over a long period of time. So his tip, especially when it comes or his tip for his workflow really was a podcast specific. And he said, focus on one thing to one audience. So for example, a podcast on a topic with one audience, do it for 12 months, listen to the audience and then incorporate more as you see fit. But do the first one right in order to do the second one. So go deep, but simple with it. And he said, this isn't a campaign. Don't think about it as, as, as such. And your content is sort of the promise to your customers. So I thought that that was a really good breakdown of trying to do one thing really well first, and then later on incorporate more things as you get really good at the first one. Now, the next one on the list is during these keynotes and during these fireside chats, Freight Waves does a great job of having live broadcast entertainment that goes on throughout the day that sort of breaks down everything that you just heard, or maybe you didn't hear because you didn't, you know, you were working during the day and didn't have time to watch all of these keynotes and fireside chats. So, but one thing that they said on Put That Coffee Down, which I thought was great, and it says, does it matter how much tech you throw at something. And this was a chat with Zimbles, um, which is a lead sourcing tool. So their chat with Zimbles and their CEO had this to say, it doesn't matter how much tech you throw at something if you didn't get the foundation right first. Your data is key to getting the foundation right. And I thought that this was really poignant because for those of us who are in this space and also in like marketing tech and things like that, and not to say that we're in marketing tech, but marketing tech is a huge industry. And we always have people trying to sell us different solutions, sell us different uh, tools that are going to fix our problems. And back in a previous video, I've covered this to where you really need to hone in on your processes first. Honing in on your processes first will allow you to figure 
figure out how additional software tools fit into that workday process. You don't want to get a subscription to Hootsuite or Buffer if you're not actively producing content. Sure, those tools will help you in order to get the message out to uh, various audiences that you set up within their platform. But if you don't have any content to promote to begin with, you're wasting your money on these tools until you have that process figured out. So figure out your processes first and then figure out how tech aligns within that process in order to achieve your ultimate goals. Because chances are... If you know the fundamentals of a lot of different, if you know the fundamentals of marketing, you don't necessarily need 12 different tools to solve your problems. You really just need to be disciplined and be dedicated to getting your message out there, recording great content, getting your message out to the world, and then just rinsing and repeating, seeing what works well and then doing it all over again. And you do it each week and you stay committed to it and you play it for the long game. Like going back to our first tip, you have to be able to commit to it in the long run. I had somebody reach out to me the other day that said that they had, uh, they've launched their YouTube channel and they've had it for a couple months. And because they're not getting the views that they thought they would, that they're just considering pulling all of their videos from the platform and transferring it over to Vimeo. And I said, what on earth are you thinking? You've given it less than two months, to be honest. I think this gentleman has actually only been on YouTube for maybe a month. Um, But that is the biggest hurtful thing that you could do to yourself is to pull all of your content because it's not getting the guaranteed traction that you thought it would. You have to be committed to the long game. And I think for a lot of people, especially in freight sales, they want those instant results and it doesn't happen like that, especially when it comes to content. So just be prepared to be or or to consider this as an investment into your overall business strategy because creating content content and publishing it is not going to be something that's going to have leads knocking down your door the very next day. It's an investment in yourself and it's but it is a way to create that demand that pipeline revenue or that pipeline acquisition to where you're creating that level of trust factor. You're creating content for your audience that maybe they don't even know that they have a problem yet or that you could solve that problem for them. So they're in technically the awareness stage and you're just providing the resources to them. So then that way, when they do get to a point where they need to have some kind of software solution or a service-based solution that's going to solve their problem, then they think of you and then the leads are coming to you and you're not having to do these needless, like endless cold calls. I've never made a cold call in my life and I've been in business for close to four years now. And the number one reason that I attribute it to not having to do any cold calling, I'm not opposed to cold calling. I'm not opposed to cold emailing, but I haven't had I haven't been put in a situation where I've had to do that yet. And I realize I'm, you know, a little bit lucky in that regard, but I credit it to 10 years of making content. Do you have to do 10 years of content in order to see success from it? Absolutely not. But you do have to spend more than two months creating content in order to see something from it. Uh, Probably more than six months. It might be close to a year before you see anything from it, but you're investing in yourself. You're investing in your business because you're becoming that resource to people that will eventually need your services. They just might not need them right now. So be patient, continue on with your normal business practice, but make content and and the distribution of that content an important part of your work processes throughout the week, throughout the month, throughout the year. So just make sure that you're putting an emphasis on it because this is not a get rich quick scheme. And if you're looking for that, then you need to just find another show because I'm not going to be the one that provides that kind of insight for you. I believe in quick wins. I do not believe in uh, using tactics that would damage a relationship with your potential audience because um, I see too much of it, especially out in the marketing and sales world. And that's just not the kind of content I want to create. It's not the kind of content I digest. So I'm never going to be that person that's going to create it and sell it to you guys as if it's something that works because I don't know that it works. So I'm not going to talk about it. 
Let's go into the next takeaway that I thought was really impactful, and that's with uh, Trey Griggs, his of Lean Solutions, his chat with George Abernathy, which Abernathy is just such a great last name. Doesn't it sound like almost like royalty? And I'm pretty sure that was like a royalish name. So that that's uh, just side tangent. But their chat I thought was really really great because Trey comes with the perspective of he's going to go in for the long game mindset. So, so Sort of piggybacking what we just talked about. That's really what he focuses on. And that that's what his company also focuses on too, is that long-term investment into creating different tech marketing solutions, all that good stuff. Um, staffing solutions, I think is where they primarily focus. Um, but he talked about how cold calling has changed. And he said that you want to connect with somebody first, provide value first before you ask something of someone else. Um, so his biggest tactic, especially uh, during 2020, has been to connect with people on LinkedIn to participate in his weekly street crew lunches that he has, which if you looked at my top, you know, the, the, the best content in logistics post, which I'll also link to in the show notes in case you missed it. Um, but his show is a, a great example of how you take something that was such a pivotal part of our business structure. And that was going out to lunches, going to networking events and things like that. And he transitioned that into online. They're not selling anything on this lunch. They're not, they're just, it's a casual conversation as if you were having a happy hour lunch with people. So his chat was really insightful and he had one tip that I suffer from and I didn't really even think about it. I always just try to look at the camera, but he said to take your camera, put it on. Most people have their camera attached to the top of their computer screen. And if you're doing that, then to take the video of whoever you're chatting with and put it directly under, put that window directly under the camera. So then that way you're actively looking at the camera and you're also, it looks like you're looking at the person too. So for me, because of the way that I have my my structure set up, I have to remember that right now I'm looking at my notes, but I have to look at my notes really quickly and then look back at the camera. And so just keep that in mind whenever you're chatting to people that sometimes it can come across as, especially if you're on a one-on-one call, it looks a little off when somebody is just looking at another screen, which I'm guilty of this, of course. Um, I'm sure all of us are, but I thought that that was a really great tip. Next up during this actual chat was a question that was asked by the audience member, Rachel Heaps of Transportation Impact. This. So for those who don't, you know, sort of give a behind the scenes look of what goes into a, a, a live virtual event or virtual summit is that most of these things are pre-recorded. I recorded mine on a Thursday. The event was the following Thursday. So that really gives the, it, it gives me the opportunity to, instead of focusing on the live broadcast during the day, I can be there to answer questions, um, take audience question, not answer questions, but I can be there to uh, facilitate the conversation. Let's just put it that way. Offer advice, offer tips, um, insight, any takeaways that I'm hearing during the during the broadcast um, from other people's chats, and I can share my perspective on them as well. So a little bit of behind the scenes from there. But during this chat, I was asked by Rachel Heaps of Transportation Impact. She said, do you have any tips on bringing good content to our personal pages? meaning LinkedIn. And this is one of my favorite tips. And if you follow a lot of different marketers, you will see that they're doing this on different platforms where they're taking short clips. And you the idea is that the audience has time to watch a short two to five minute clip. Most people, when they look at, say, a two hour broadcast or a two hour podcast, and they say, oh, ugh, I do not have time for that. But if they watch a clip, it could be enticing to them to go back and listen to the entire show. YouTube does a great job with this because for a lot of people, they'll look at like, say, a Joe Rogan podcast, who I know he's not on YouTube anymore. He's, he's you know, Spotify exclusive. But what he does is, and I like to call it the Joe Rogan method, but the Joe Rogan method is that you have a full broadcast and that broadcast appears on one channel. It could be anywhere from two to three hours for this show. And a lot of people, myself included, will look at that and say, that is entirely too long. I'm not going to watch that. But he has a separate channel called JRE Clips. And using the clips, it's anywhere from two minutes to 15 minutes long for these clips. 
And if it's enticing enough, then you're watching it. And then the YouTube algorithm will automatically suggest another clip from that same show. And then before you know it, if the clips are really done well, then before you know it, you've watched the entire broadcast and didn't even realize it. So the two to three, you know, even 10 minute long clips that you can upload to these different social media channels creates that that it, it, it gets rid of the barrier of entry to the long form contact content where you you create that level of interest ahead of time. So then that way, when somebody looks at, say, a two-hour broadcast, they're no longer intimidated by the fact that they have to spend you know, an hour finding out if something is going to be worth it or not. In this case, they watch a short clip and they find out if it's worth it or not to them to listen to the rest of the broadcast. So I take this and I apply it to LinkedIn. I apply it to Twitter. Um, I've tested it on Instagram. It's kind of okay on Instagram. I don't really recommend it on Instagram, to be honest. Um, YouTube is where the algorithm is is super powerful. So in that instance, and also LinkedIn, I, I, I you know I definitely have to promote LinkedIn here because they've done a great job with promoting a lot of their video content. And these platforms are looking for video content. They are looking for those direct uploads. They don't want to send their traffic away to another platform to um, a third party vendor. They want users on their platform. So if you can provide a short five, I think LinkedIn has a a cap at ten minutes. So if you provide a clip that. That's under 10 minutes and it's just talking. It, it doesn't even have to be a clip. It, that could be your entire show. So as long as you're doing that and providing value to your audience, then that's something that you should be promoting to your personal pages. And then from that aspect, um, you can promote them to something else, say using the comments in order to send them to um, another product, another landing page, um, or to the full show. It depends on what kind of content you're promoting. Um, but I always, always suggest that you promote things to your your personal pages first, and then use the company page to share the content that you that that really resonated with the audience. So this in this case, you're using employees to promote your company on your behalf, but you're they're doing it in their own way. They're using it with content that maybe you've already provided to them. But those clips are a, a, an easy barrier of entry in order for someone to be first introduced to to what you're talking about and the services or product solutions that you provide. So that was one quick tip that I wanted to definitely share with you guys. Um, And then going into the last chat that I thought uh, was really, really beneficial. And it's with Hope White. And she owns her own logistics company. And she talked about in this interview about all the broker mistakes that she sees. And she knows firsthand of what she's looking for from a freight provider because she worked with Home Depot for years. And so she knew ahead of time that on-time pickup and dedicated capacity were some of the biggest solutions that they were looking for when it comes to being a carrier for Home Depot or what she looked for for from carriers in order to be her rep at Home Depot or to to handle a lot of their freight. And so when she got on the other side of the business, she already knew the problems that her car, her customers were already facing. And so she had a few tips for the brokers out there that she sees as far as like the mistakes that they're making. And she said, the first one is they don't understand supply chain and how it all works together. The next thing they don't understand is that they don't take the time to understand who their customers are. They're too anxious to get in the business instead of trying to truly solve problems. And she specifically said, you are a solutions provider. You should know the answer to their problems based on the information discovered in the research phase. And so I I thought that that was a really great sort of takeaway that for a lot of companies, especially with like broker sales and things like that, they they sort of just sit you at the, at sit down at a phone and say, here are, you know, 200 people that we've contacted within the last five years. None of our other sales guys want to take care of it. So um, good luck. And it's your job to essentially call all these companies and try to figure out uh, a, a solution to their problems. So she said that the, the understanding those mistakes and alleviating those mistakes will really help you in the long run if you're just getting into the freight broker game. 
So that was a really great insight from Hope. And as I said earlier, I'll definitely make sure that I share all of those, the, the, the talks that I really loved in the show notes, also including a link to Freightwaves page because they've already uploaded all of the content to their YouTube page. So it's a really great resource in order for you to sort of dive in on some, you know, the, some of the latest like sales and marketing tactics that a lot of companies are out here taking part in and experimenting with. So with all of that said, let's go ahead and dive into the interview with Eric Rodriguez of VendorFlow. I think you guys are really going to like this. All right. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Digital Dispatch Podcast presented by Vrate School Playbook. I'm your host, Blythe Brumley, and today I'm joined by Eric Rodriguez. He is the CEO and co-founder of a company called VendorFlow. They build technology solutions to structure and simplify communications with trucking carrier partners. Now, for everybody that's listening to that statement, what exactly does that mean? Can you break that down for us? So thank you for having me, Blythe. And yeah, I mean, maybe the best way to start is with a, a quick anecdote of what we observe when I was starting it in logistics, you know, observing a lot of uh, people at a brokerage in particular, um, doing a great deal of workflow, a great deal of interaction with carrier partners and trying to uh, basically communicate a lot of crazy details over email or phone in very sort of loose and unstructured ways. And we're interested in providing uh, more, more structured ways for people to interact. Um, so, so we think we can do a lot to improve the efficiency of, of these folks and also create a, a framework for interacting with partners. So to actually deepen those relationships uh, between these, uh, for example, a broker and a carrier partner. And now you mentioned in, and we were talking in, in the, the pre-show meeting that you want to actually keep the human element ah. involved in communications. Why is that so important in a world where we want to automate everything? Sure, it, it is a bit of a contrarian position, maybe from a Silicon Valley perspective, <laughs> and we're in Los Angeles for what it's worth. Uh, but you know, we for, from our time in logistics, and, and you know, the, our team is substantially comes from logistics as well. Um, you know, we observe the value in that there are meaningful relationships between, for example, a shipper and a broker, a broker and their carrier partner, um, and we have no interest in stepping between that. Um, we also uh, celebrate the importance of sort of human discretion in, in interacting in different situations. So for example, you know, sure, may, maybe you will have EDI and API that say the truck driver arrived and, you know, this other event happened, but still there will need human discretion for things like, okay, well, well now what? We need to fix this issue. We need to uh, reschedule something. We need to communicate back to someone. Um, we believe it's always important to have that element. We think technology should play a role of empowering people to be more efficient in their role, take away from any rote uh, type of workflows where, you know, maybe they have to copy paste a million times from a mm. spreadsheet into an email. Well, that's no fun. And I think it's reasonable to automate something like that. Um, but the fundamental human role uh, and relationships, we, we have no interest in, in, in impeding. Yeah, we, we see a lot of value there. So when somebody, let's say that I'm a carrier, I'm a shipper, and I am browsing your website, what is the first, I guess, sort of, I, I guess, a demo run through? What are the problems that you're trying to solve, I guess, for each use case? Certainly. Well, our, our initial work use case is focused around the quote requests and capacity requests type of workflow. Um, so, you know, we'll see stories where, you know, a, a shipper will... Uh, send an email out to nine brokers uh, saying, hey, hey, you guys, you know, please offer a rate for point A to point B going on two days. Uh, you know, that's an example of, of a manual workflow that's expressed uh, loosely typed in email or maybe over phone um, where we see an opportunity to, to structure that interaction so they could fire off a more professional uh, branded uh, experience uh, to these parties where they can respond uh, by basically click a link, put a bid, put it back, and then the person who requested that bid can see in an organized fashion where everything is, as opposed to um, now my inbox is a mess. Uh, I sent this big email out, people are replying, they're saying it's still available, like what's going on? Um, and to, to us, that seems like uh, sort of a, a, a stressful uh, experience and, and a somewhat uh, crazy experience. We observe uh, operating in logistics to be sort of uh, chaotic enough sometimes mm -hmm. in terms of trying to react to all these things. The inbox um, would drive anyone nuts, they, <laughs> you know, or it would drive me nuts at least. Yes, um, to, same. To see all these events going through. Um, so we're trying to take some of these things out of the inbox 
So it can be structured in a, in a clean space of here's the place where I care about getting loads covered, here's where I'm going to take care of it, as opposed to it being all over the place. Because we even hear about folks telling us how they, uh, they have to write stuff down on pen and paper because mm-hmm. there's nowhere to even, okay, well, I sent the request out by email, but now someone's calling me, oh, I gotta, where am I going to note it? In, in back in email, maybe I'll just write it down. Mm-hmm. Um, we're trying to offer people a way to sort of reduce that level of chaos there. So are users logging into VendorFlow's website or are you, say, a connector Ooh. or a filter system that's put in place inside their email communication? Yeah, that's a great question. So it's a, primarily a Chrome extension uh, <laughs> oriented app. And, you know, we, we find that to be pretty differentiated in the space in that um, from the particularly brokers that we spoke to, many of them will use uh, Outlook or Gmail. Uh, for the email, uh, but virtually all of them are using the Chrome browser. Hmm. And in our opinion, the new desktop, like the old desktop is a physical desk top, yes. And then the, the next stage of desktop is sort of the your computer desktop, whether it's PC or Mac. Um, but in our observations, a lot of operations folks, they're spending a time in the Chrome browser. So by having a Chrome extension, it, it's sort of always uh, persistent for you. And you can see when new information is coming up, it'll do a little uh, badge that says, now you have two responses to your request. Now you have three responses to your request. So they can kind of keep it in the corner of their eye as they're monitoring uh, the responses that are coming back for them. Um, so that's why we chose that medium. And we think there's a lot of opportunity. We haven't seen a lot of workflow software that's really taking advantage of the potential of the Chrome extension. And so when you're working in the Chrome extension, so say you're getting these notifications, are you clicking on that notification? And then where is it taking the user next? Inside your platform, inside email? How are you, how am I as a user monitoring those communications? Yeah, so the the classic case would be, uh, let's say uh, I'm a a broker, maybe carrier sales rep. Maybe I'm concerned with expedited shipments. That seems to be an area for us, uh, expedited being... Uh, speedy by nature. Uh, people <laughs> Everybody need a wants the two-day uh, shipping. <laughs> yeah, well, yes. And, and these broker folks find themselves really under the gun to turn around uh, the fine coverage, fine rates within a matter of not hours, minutes, hmm. so many times. Um, so they can open up this Chrome extension, briefly describe the nature of the load. You know, it's going from Arizona to Dallas and uh, details, details, FTL, and so on. Uh, they can fire that off in an omni-channel manner. So omni-channel, meaning um, this person should get an email because they're a fellow office worker. Okay, they get an email. This person is an owner-operator. Maybe email is a slow way to get them to really react. Maybe it should be a robocall uh, that will robocall the owner-operator that says, you know, hello, care partner. Um, this is Bob from da-da-da. Uh, we have a, a load going place-to-place. Uh, dial 1 if you want to call back and dial 2 if you're not interested. And then it could do a text as well to the other people who prefer to be contacted by text. Uh, Because part of the, I think, the humility that a lot of technology companies need to learn in logistics is that there's no one correct way uh, to do very much at all. Hmm. Uh, That flexibility needs to be preserved so that um, different carriers want to be reached in different ways. Good. Why why would we stop uh, that? Right. So we want... We want the broker to be able to reach out to carry their carrier partners in a way that is convenient and accommodating to the carrier partners, both because it's the, the right thing to do and because, well, the carrier partners are going to respond more quickly to the things that they're comfortable with receiving. Uh, but the, the point is, it'll cast this net, it'll send it all out to their carrier partners, and the carrier partners will have a means of responding uh, by maybe clicking a link and putting in their bid or saying, I'm unavailable, I don't do that, that lane. And all these responses come back, back in the Chrome extension to say, okay, for this load that I'm trying to get covered, uh, this person didn't respond. This person said 800 bucks. This person said 900, but and they have the lift gate and whatever details. And then I have the ability to say, well, I could I could keep waiting until I get a satisfactory bid, or I can say that here's the winner right here. We can close this puppy out. And also, it could provide feedback to these carriers to say, hey, uh, you know, we love you, we want to work with you. Uh, but your your rate was off by this much or whatever the case may be, because, I mean, you're, you're on LinkedIn as well. That's how we met. There's a lot of wonderful conversations right now about facilitating an environment where folks can give each other feedback. And we're interested in, in going in that direction as well. Uh, so sorry, I might have weaved in and out a few directions there, but giving you some of the story. Yeah. No, no, I, I definitely appreciate it because especially from a use case perspective, uh, you, you highlighted on the communication preferences that, that everybody has and they're all different. 
how are you, is the broker setting up those communication preferences based off of previous conversations that they've had with maybe carriers or are the carriers able to, to set up their own uh, communication preferences yeah. and, and how does that so, sort of work? So there, there is a technology journey there. I mean, we are a relatively young company and today really the, the broker would be or the, the broker user would be in control of that Um we're interested in in pursuing TMS integrations mm. where to the extent that preference already exists, it can be sort of inherited into our system to just acknowledge that. Um, but we also do want to create an experience for the carriers to really declare and take control of this and declare their interests of what lanes they prefer and, and how they wish to be contacted. Now, it's worth emphasizing that a carrier does not need to create an account uh, in our system environment, that would be too much friction. Uh, we want this to be as natural and as easy to interact with as email or phone or whatever Smart. normal uh, channels there may be. No, definitely. Because that was my my next question is if the, if your carrier maybe has to sign up for your platform, they might be a little bit apprehensive because they have to get, go through that extra friction level step, like you said. Now, when we originally got connected, you had sent me um, what you're calling workplace confessionals, which I love because it highlights the problems that are going on and the solutions that you're trying to solve. And a couple of these uh, that you've released so far is the first one. It says, I spend six hours a day calling, emailing and texting trucking and carriers to cover eight truckloads. It's exhausting. Can you walk me through, I guess, a little bit of what your your market research entails to find out quotes like that? Because I read that quote and I feel them on a personal level. I would never want to be a dispatcher because I know what they have to go through. So kudos to you guys for for helping to solve those problems. But how did you how did you go through the process of even finding those issues out? I know I appreciate that a lot and. It's part of the learning in, in being effective, I suppose, and in, in interacting with prospective customers, um, inviting them to tell their stories, inviting them to talk about challenges that they have and trying to listen as much as possible. I know it's a bit cliche, but I do think that folks, uh, including myself, uh, need a reminder on this because, of course, I just want to get right in there and say, like, oh, here's the product. You're going to love it. And whenever I do that. That usually it's like, well, I, I don't know, would I? Uh, but when I invite them to talk about their story, um, they they can really connect the dots themselves rather than me telling them what the dots are mm -hmm. or something like that. Um, so that's a big learning. Um, but no, it's it's been wonderful hearing people's stories. I can relate personally. I've certainly performed workflows where I'm like, oh boy, I, I know this is pretty inefficient, but there's nothing I can do. There's no real tools I can use. So, oh, well, here we go. Um, but yeah, we, we, we like to acknowledge that. I think it's humanizing. I think it's relatable to a lot of folks. Um, you know, just to give you a couple, oh, well, it's worth actually noting the example you just gave, right? The, uh, it takes six hours to cover eight loads. It's funny. Uh, and I'll be honest, it's a bit of a prison. Some people responded saying, Hey, I'm an independent broker. If I can cover eight loads a day, that's good money right there. Mm -hmm. And uh, fair point. Absolutely a fair point. Now, uh, the, the perspective this came from was from not an independent broker who's, uh, who's benefiting from the commissions, just sort of a, a daily employee and, and a supervisor. But it was really to emphasize that it's not so much that that particular individual is spending their time uh, on the whole journey of logistics. They're spending their time Googling and calling and texting and emailing. And imagine trying to cover, let's say, six loads at a time that are all outstanding. So you're getting responses back from people about different loads on different channels, some on phone, some on email, some on text. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty stressful and that is pretty exhausting. And we'd like to believe that, that that person can, you know, don't quote me too hard on this, but instead of it taking six hours, maybe it can take four hours, things of this nature, uh, by substantially saving this manual effort and chaos and feeling of disorganization um, and having all these responses coming back through all different places. And so have you, I guess, found yourself, you, you, you solved a few problems in particular after your conversations with, with uh, your, your, during your market research phase, are, are there problems that you want to solve in the future that you guys haven't solved yet? Oh, oh just a couple. <laughs> uh, no, no, there's a lot that we're very excited to do. I mean, our development philosophy is to do a good job at, a, at one or two things, not get ahead of ourselves. I think a lot of startups in particular, I, I've been in venture-backed startups for pretty much my whole career, have a tendency to get way ahead of themselves. 
uh, to sell things that don't fully exist yet even sometimes. Um, so we're a little bit more modest in the sense that we want to make sure we're doing a really good job at just this story, just this story of I, I have to reach out to folks, I have to get responses, I want to be organized, I want reporting around it. It's incredible the amount of depth just in that one topic. Now, there's, of course, the temptation of building sort of TMS-style capabilities and just going, why, why not do it all? Um, well, we don't want to build a TMS, uh, and we don't intend to build a TMS. Um, no disrespect to TMS. We see ourselves as a, a layer that adds upon TMS, a, a layer that uh, basically interacts between parties, regardless of which TMSs they are or are not using. Hmm. Uh, because sometimes interactions with carrier partners can be a little more one-off, right? I mean, are, are you going to set up the whole, you're going to spend two months setting up EDI with a carrier partner who's going to do one spot load ever? I don't think so. I, I think there are more sort of casual tools that are needed for people to quickly be able to interact without all this setup and configuration uh, to, to interact together. Um, but we see a great deal of opportunity in communications uh, in general. Uh, thus, our emphasis on omni-channel, the, the email, SMS, and robocall, where um, we can imagine a lot of interactions uh, throughout logistics uh, that could benefit from this type of, of interaction between parties. Um, we, we see a lot of opportunity around uh, broader sort of chat and communications as well. Um, in that, you know, if you're, if you're a carrier, you have to use um, this broker's TMS app and this broker's marketplace app and this other, uh, this other TMS's app to do this load and to do that load and to do that load. And I think most folks would acknowledge like that, that can't possibly be sustainable, can it? Um, for, for, every, for carriers to have to just use a vast mix of very similar, but not the same uh, tools uh, on a regular basis. We're interested in building uh, more of a connective tissue, if you will, mm -hmm. where it's agnostic to TMS um, so that uh, a carrier can work with their uh, customers uh, through one interface and a customer can work with their carriers through one type of interface. So that's what we're interested in. And that's the opportunity we see. And and you mentioned that you, I would imagine that fragmentation is a big crux of, of the industry right now. There, there's been a lot of technology that's come into the industry in the past few years. It, it, would you say that the fragmentation or is, is the biggest problem or, or what are the other, I guess, ish, biggest issues that you see within the industry? Yeah, I mean, fragmentation is very plausibly the, the biggest problem. And I think it, uh, one illustration of uh, one piece of evidence is the fact that email is so, still so heavily relied mm -hmm. upon for very chatty interactions. Uh, writing an email that says 10-4, for example. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not faulting the person who said 10-4. That's what, those are the tools sure. they have. They're going to do their best. Respect, absolutely. But it, I would argue that it is a... a it is a technology failure and it is a, a sort of industry fragmentation failure of sorts. Every time someone has to write a loose email and just sort of send it at someone uh, in that manner, I don't think anyone really wants to do that. Mm. I think it's the, the workaround uh, for a lack of better uh, interaction uh, capabilities. That's a good way of putting it because, it, it, like you said, it's... It's one of those things where they live and die by emails. So if their if their email goes down, then they're out of business. Then the, sure. for the day at least until their email comes back up. Um, yeah. Now during your market research process, you said that you developed a false sense of confidence and and it drove you to pitch the product, assuming it'll fit, and being surprised when it didn't click with the prospect. How did you? If you had a chance to do market research over again, how would you address that problem? No, that's it's it's a great learning, and, and as I say, this is something I'll probably need to be reminded of on a regular basis. I don't think you just learn these things once, and that's mm -hmm. the end of it. Um, you know, with this type of topic, I think I would have traded. So let me explain. So, you know, early days we had a a great number of people who were saying, "This is awesome, uh, good job, keep doing it," which is good. Um, I would have traded all of that for one or two partners. Mm -hmm to just link arms with us and say, we are going to march this across the finish line until we are able to adopt this and use this. So I think what we, the, the mistake we made was we built something that was generally in the neighborhood, interesting to a lot of people, but it didn't really nail it with anybody. Hmm. Um, so we learned uh, after sort of those close, but not quite type of heartbreaking interactions, right? 
um, to say, okay, but but you do have a fundamental uh, need here, yes? Well, well, yes. Okay, so can we please work together uh, on this? Um, doesn't mean we're going to take up 10 hours a week of your time. We do a check-in, you know, once a week, every other week, right? Um, to make sure that, because there's a, a cultural challenge where technology folks frequently miss the boat. And I think, I, I suspect a decent number of logistics folks would kind of nod, nod their head at that mm -hmm. comment, which is that, you know, technology folks always have their idea of a solution. I'd like to believe it's usually, at least in the ballpark. Um, we, we need to work closely with the folks who are in the trenches doing this hmm. uh, to really cross the finish line with, with anything to solve people's problems. Because uh, at best, we're an arm's length distance away from the action. And the closer we can be, the more successful we will be in solving folks' problems. So that's where we want to be. And how often are you having, I guess, these conversations with, with the people that are in the trenches? Is, is it on a regular basis? Is it maybe weekly, monthly? Break that process down for us. It's, it's a funny balance because, you know, uh, as, a, as a selfish actor, of course, I want to talk to them all, all day long, right? But they, they have a job to do. And uh, some folks might notice it's been a hell of a busy season uh, lately. <laughs> so, so there's a balance there, and we need, we need to respect that as much as we can. We do our best to make sure we have a pretty clean agenda so we're, we're using their time as well as possible. We're making sure, you know, they shouldn't have to teach us the absolute ABCs of logistics. We should be able to come decently prepared to have a productive conversation. Um, so a lot of it's about respecting the time. A lot of it's about um, credibility to them that we are we're not just – doing research to do research. We're, we're getting this information to solve this problem for you. It will be delivered to you. So in a, in a way, it would be trouble if we, you know, if we entertained 100 partners at the same time and we're, oh, well, we're working on your problem and we're working on your problem, we're working on the other 98. Well, that would be a bit insincere, wouldn't it? Because we can't actually deliver all 100. Um, so, you know, we, we found a, a good handful um, who we feel really great, great sort of chemistry, for lack of a better word. Um, we have a lot of fun. It's not, it, you know, we, we, some good jokes and fun with them. And, uh, you know, that's the way we like to work with folks. And if folks want to spend time with us like that, we, we love to hear it. And, and you said something curious that, that you don't want your customers or your partners to be able to explain logistics to you. So, so how did you learn about the world of logistics? How did you stumble upon this industry? Sure. Well, I'm certainly no expert. Uh, I've been in it for, oh, let's call it three years now. And, um, and wow, I, have I learned a lot? And wow, is there a lot more to learn, right? So <laughs> how, how do we get into it? Well, um, uh, it's funny. I mean, I, I, I've been in sort of enterprise B2B software for the vast majority of my career in tech. Um, and I've worked with other sort of operations orgs about not logistics. Uh, one was about like clinical research and working with patients and stuff where they had their workflows too, right? They had to do emails and phone and so on. So I'd like to believe I'm broadly familiar with these types of challenges. Um, but just a, a contact I knew in the industry kind of brought me in at, at uh, Next Trucking uh, down in El Segundo, Los Angeles. Um, and yeah, it was a wonderful opportunity to learn a lot uh, from the folks in the trenches there, all in the same Building, thankfully, this is pre-COVID, it would be a little harder today, mm -hmm. let's be honest, uh, to really, uh, you know, learn uh, it, it right there with them in that way. Um, but I'll be honest, I'll, I'll admit this, even if it makes me look bad, um, I didn't, I had never heard the word drage in my life uh, before uh, joining uh, Next Trucking. So uh, it's been it's been a journey, uh, but I, I think it's important for especially technology folks to have a degree of humility mm -hmm. uh, with how they're approaching these things. Because, yeah, it's, it's very easy for the tech person to say, oh, well, obviously, you should just do this. Mm -hmm. And then usually the logistics person will say, okay, well, here's reason A, B, C, um, why it's just not that simple. Um, so it's, it's, it's a wonderful uh, dance or partnership to have with these folks. And so when you went, you, you, so you, you work at a logistics company and then you move on to uh, that moment that says that you want to be a co-founder of a company. In the logistics yeah. space, what was that? What did that process, that moment look like for you? What was the catalyst? Well, a lot, a lot of it is my, my, my business partner, Greg Buyak. Uh, you know, he, he's not on the call, of course. Um, but yeah, I mean, we worked together at Next Trucking. We had a wonderful relationship. And that's half of it. I, I, I don't know if I would have started a company just totally solo. Uh, but the notion of having a, a super solid partner, you already know you can work great together. Um, that's a, a hell of a head start. Mm -hmm. 
Um, because you know, you, you might even have a friend who you've never worked with, where you could be great friends, but you not but might not be great coworkers. So it's important to have the, those sort of <laughs> that sort of understanding, right? Um, so that was a lot of it. You know, I mean, we observed opportunity in the industry that we think is massive, um, and we just love to be just to be in it. You know, just to hear about people's problems. It's so satisfying uh, just to. Uh, here's someone who said, yeah, before I did it and it took all this time and it was really annoying. And now um, I have this thing and it, it like helps a lot. And thanks. That uh, really warms our heart. And we just love to be involved in those types of stories and, and solve these types of things. Almost for, uh, I don't know, love of the game, for lack of a better <laughs> word. Um, it's, it's very compelling to us. So we see a lot of opportunity. So when you, uh, I guess, first started reaching out, you, you started becoming more involved with the logistics LinkedIn community. How did you sure. find out that that, I guess, community existed? Because to me, it kind of popped up really in, in less than a year. So I'm always surprised to find out how others find out about that community on LinkedIn. No, that's, well, I guess that's lucky timing for me. I, I, I didn't realize it just happened to work out that way, I suppose. <laughs> um, but it is true. Uh, I did make a concerted effort to focus on LinkedIn first um, to get in front of people. I, I, I recognize there's a fair number of folks who aren't, aren't even really on LinkedIn yet, but I suspect the trend will continue in the direction you're suggesting. Um, one, one little fun, fun fact or tip that, that I found to be pretty interesting is just the ability to um, find prospects, invite them to connect, and LinkedIn lets you put that little note in there um, where you can say, hey, you know, I'm in the industry, love to, love to hear about your challenges and this and that. And that's been a pretty effective technique for us to just sort of build up that network initially. Um, because to be clear, that's a workaround from having to do the, the, the more proper messages where you have to buy the in-mails and this and that. Um, so that was a pretty effective way. And it's a funny thing, once you have a number of people who you've interacted with, well, now you're second degree from all their networks. So it, it, it can be a, a snowball in, in all the good ways uh, of just sort of getting more and more uh, interaction. But the other element, if I can comment, sure. is just joining the discussion. You know, I've, I'm not a naturally outgoing person, um, but seeing these threads where there's some wonderful stuff out there where I'm legitimately learning a, a good deal uh, from folks just talking about, oh, I I guess I can't think of a good example right now, but they were talking about, oh, I don't know, spot market workflow, let's just say. And uh, being able to comment and put yourself in public, so to speak, and, you know, they like it, they respond, other people kind of check you out. It, it creates a hell of a, what do you call it, a virtuous cycle. Um, and we learn and we develop relationships. And I find it to be a dramatically better way to engage with prospects and learn about their needs and eventually tell them about what we're offering as opposed to just, Hey, you, there's a product. It's amazing. You should do it. Um, most people don't react well to that <laughs> as you might, you might be aware. Um, so I find it to be a wonderful way to sort of naturally interact with people um, it, to build some trust and build some relationships. And it's been great so far. I really yeah. like that approach. And, and it was that, I guess that approach a concerted effort on, on your part is, is whether other strategies that you were trying to, to take, you know, traditional PR releases, um, maybe right. some influencer content, things like that, or was LinkedIn pretty much your, your go-to? Yeah. I mean, we, we are very product and customer satisfaction biased in the sense that, you know, we want to work closely with people, develop the product to a certain standard. And probably the ne next standard is starting to publish things like case studies and testimonials. Mm -hmm. uh, we like to be really close to, to, to that, if that distinction uh, makes sense. You know, PR, you know, perhaps in the future, we, we'd love to start publishing some data um, in time. Uh, you know, I think it'll be a really cool study. Um, if you do a race between if you call if you do the robo dial to 10 and you do the text to, to 10 and you do the email to 10, like how quickly do the responses come back? You know, which which just don't get a response at all. Right. I think there's a lot of fun, fresh data that we can publish that will be really fun. And I hope people will take interest in it. So and that's also why we've been sharing uh, these sort of anonymous confessions that hopefully people find relatable as well. Yeah, ab absolutely. So, so you guys are are taking, I, I guess, being able to analyze that data too. Can you provide that, or maybe in the future provide that data analytics to your customers and and be able to say, hey, you know, you might want to text this person a little bit more. You might want to email this other person a little bit more. They respond better to those communications. Right. So I appreciate you mentioning that because I think I neglected it to mention it earlier. Which is, yes, this is. 
it, it is a workflow tool, but the, the other very meaningful half is it creates a, a data framework, if you will, in that it's, it's rather than a loosely written email or phone call, uh, this is all structured data. It's, mm-hmm. it's San Francisco to Las Vegas, and these are the people who responded, and this is the rate, and it's also flatbed, and there's also liftgate. All of this type of data and details can be, are being captured in a structured way. So our ability to provide reports straight back to the end user, of course, and also just broader industry insights or patterns uh, to acknowledge, hey, you know, it seems that this lane, you know, for, the, for this lane, you're bidding it out to 10 people and you're getting six responses. That seems pretty healthy. For this other lane, uh, you only have two carriers and sometimes you don't get any responses. Hmm. Uh, so it can sort of suggest like, hey, you seem a little light over here. Uh, maybe you want to build up your, your carrier basis. And we could even come up with analytics such as, and we can predict that if you, because if you auction to uh, two people, the average price might be 700. But if you auction to five people, the average price might be 680, mm-hmm. right? Um, so these are the type of analytics that, don't get me wrong, I, I think folks have a good handle on just through their grizzled years of experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also a great deal of data opportunity by structuring these interactions because folks are losing out on this data because recognize that today, um, if you do it the sort of manual, traditional way over email and phone, um, you know, you're a carrier sales rep, you call five people, you get five bids. Um, well, the winner will be recorded because that'll be kind of logged in the TMS and that shipment will actually transpire. But what about these other four, the, the four losers, for lack mm-hmm. of a word? Um, that, that's that's data, too. That, that gives you a sense for at least were those carriers interested um, and how far of a spread of a, of a price point was it really? Um, also, it could give a little visibility to sort of the management layer to understand, you know, well, hey, I, I see that of the five bids you got, you know, this one was, uh, oh, geez, I'm getting it upside down in my mind. But basically, you awarded it to the one that's not the best deal. Mm. Um, that's not necessarily wrong, right? Uh, maybe it's because the, the one that's slightly more expensive, the service level is so good that it's justifiable. That's okay. But we're just creating a framework for that level of transparency so people can understand, like, you know, what, what's going on here? Um, what are the behaviors happening? Are you able to, I guess, determine any or, or see any kind of insights or trends at a macro level of maybe communication preferences is, is maybe I, yeah. I, I'm curious to the fact of if, you know, maybe text messaging is rising and maybe email is dropping. Do you, are you able to see any kind of that data? Sure. There, there's a lot of fun uh, that we look forward to publishing mm-hmm. on these topics. Um, because yeah, it's like, well, uh, you know, you can't generalize and say, you know, all owner-operators like this, but there's probably data that says, well, you know, 60% do like that mm-hmm. and, and 30% like this. And then for maybe if you're interacting with a more traditional uh, office or a large fleet, for example, uh, you know, maybe it's more email and, well, okay, but what, what's the breakdown there? Mm-hmm. And then when you talk about, like, response rates, um, the, the, the fun thing is, Thanks to the fact that it's structured, we're capturing all this data. So all of these things can be reported upon, of course, respecting the anonymity of the the parties who are participating. Um, But it also creates a framework for, we want to deepen relationships between uh, brokers and their carrier partners. So uh, the broker can give feedback to their carrier partner to say, okay, you've been bidding at this rate. Um, You could imagine even a a tragic uh, drama, if you will, where there's a, a carrier who is offering awesome rates, but they take six hours to respond. Mm. Um, meanwhile, the, the guy who responds uh, in a snap but offers not so uh, low rates, you know, they're the ones winning because, hey, first, first to it wins, right? So we want to create, we want to cast, cast light upon this mm. so that that broker can say, hey, carrier partner who's responding slowly, we really want to work with you. You have awesome service. You're offering great rates. But is, how can we get these rates a little quicker? Maybe we, maybe we should get a contracted rate for this so we don't have to ask every time if that's mm. the problem. I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm not here to say exactly what they should do. I'm here to say, here's the evidence. Here's what happened. Right. Please proceed and like uh, improve your processes and your relationships based on it. It definitely sounds like you're you're giving more education and more insight into how carriers and shippers are are interacting together and brokers, of course. And so, 
from from that perspective, I think you guys are offering a great solution, both at the at the micro level for a lot of these different companies. But then at the macro level, I think a lot of people within the industry would love to see some of that information coming out. So whenever you have that, definitely look forward to to reading more insight on that. And I think that that about wraps up all of the questions that I had. Was there anything that you wanted to highlight that I, I wasn't smart enough to ask? Oh, geez. <laughs> Um, I don't, I don't know if I have anything ter- terribly on the top of my head. I mean, I'll just briefly acknowledge that while the current product is very heavily oriented around the spot market, uh, we're also going in a direction of more contracted lane rates. You know, classically, people are basically uh, fl- uh, uh, flipping uh, spreadsheets back, back and forth about like, here's all the lanes, please put in your bits. Um, we're going in that direction as well. So to the extent this resonates with folks, we'd love to talk to them and understand their needs and, and get that on the roadmap and get that going as well. Awesome. Um, but yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity today. And uh, yeah, th- thanks so much. Mike. And, and where can people find more about more info about the vendor flow? Yeah. So our, our website is vendorflow.co. So it rhymes flow and co, nice. not com. Um, and we really like people coming to our LinkedIn page and following that, um, which, well, I, I don't know the URL of it, but if you search vendor flow on LinkedIn, you'll, you'll find it. Um, it's one word, vendor flow. Uh, as it sounds with the W at the end of the flow. Um, so, so yeah, please follow us there. We'll be sharing more of these uh, workflow confessions um, to the extent folks have some fun ones out there. We'd love to hear them. Um, so you'll be hearing more from us. Awesome. Well, well I appreciate it so much. And, and, and thank you for joining me. And, and we will place a few of those links in order to find out more information about vendor flow in the show notes. But until next time, thank you so much. I appreciate your time, Eric. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.